Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the CGF Sustainability Podcast. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labour to plastic waste and the circular economy, to food waste, forests and so much more. Hello, my name is Zoe Darwala and I am your host for today's episode of the CGF Sustainability Podcast Series. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Mark Chadwick, Europe Executive Managing Director of NG Impact. Decarbonization and green energy solutions are a key topic in the sustainability world right now. And Mark has just returned from Kyoto, Japan, where he hosted an iTalk at the CGF's annual global summit about practical steps businesses can take in their decarbonization journey. Today, Mark and I will chat a little bit more about the path to net zero and dive a bit deeper into the opportunities available to companies. So Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Zoe. Nice to be here. Great. So let's jump right in. You've just returned from Tokyo, where you spoke to C-suite delegates at our global summit about the practical steps for decarbonization. Can you provide us with some feedback on how the sector is progressing in terms of sustainability following the event? Yeah, yeah, I can. And and so this is the second uh, forum that I've been to. And the one in Dublin being the first, this one being the second. I think reflecting on the messages I heard from companies while there, I would say there's not been a huge step change uh, in the last year, which is a little disappointing, I would say. Uh, Very good uh, commitments being made. And almost every company that I spoke with had a goal to be uh, approaching net zero and with some good interim milestones. But I think what we were missing was a bit of a view on on the concrete plans that are underpinning those goals. How really do companies think that they're going to get to those net zero targets? And we have to remember that this is both their own operations and also the supply chains. So you can for sure see that there is a greater degree of comfort and awareness around how to decarbonize their own operations, although I would say still lacking very concrete actionable plans. But there's much less clarity and understanding on how are they going to address supply chain emissions. And and this is a bit of a theme echoed from from Dublin. And and you may remember that uh, Alan Jope uh, did a presentation in Dublin. And one of the things that he said was that he has no idea how they're going to address scope three. And that was, of course, picked up by the press because, you know, how can a, you know, chief executive of a firm like this say they have no idea? But that's just a statement of the truth. He was being honest. Scope three is so difficult. Unilever, who are really one of the leaders in this area, are struggling with this topic, but then so is everyone else. You know, it's it's quite a challenging area. So I think really, you know, some good messages we were hearing around those commitments, around uh, really seeing the consumers wanting greater sustainability, both from an environmental and also from a, from a health perspective, a recognition among big brands that, Having a good sustainability message is leading to better commercial outcomes for those brands. Uh, And again, that was a theme echoed from from the Dublin forum as well. So a mixed score, I would say. It's great that we see the commitment, but now we need to see a much deeper level of planning so that those plans can become uh, really adequate for the scale of the challenge in front of these companies. Now, I hear you. So there's a lot of talk of goals and strategies. 
but what are the critical barriers and challenges that the sector faces in translating these goals into concrete mm -hmm. actions? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think one of the biggest issues always is capacity. So organizations, generally speaking, optimize to be efficient. So they don't have a lot of uh, spare human resources sitting around waiting for a new project. They don't have uh, typically huge amounts of surplus capital that this that they need to find uh, solutions for. Um, they don't have typically the data available to them to really see clearly what needs to happen. So when you're dealing with this uh, scale of challenge and transformation that really approaching net zero uh, means for a business, without bringing forward the right resources, without marshalling them towards the, the task at hand, you are going to see barriers everywhere. And I think one of our, our, our real thesis here is, you know, you've got a set of organizations who are using the mechanisms that they used to apply for the, let's say, transparency agenda. So how do I create a greenhouse gas footprint? How do I create a CDP report? How do I publish an annual sustainability report? So that whole infrastructure, they're trying to repurpose that infrastructure to drive a transformational project. But actually, there's, they're not adequate. You know, the, the scale of, a, of resources needed to genuinely transform from uh, fossil energy, which is a very easy, uh, simple solution, which we have a lot of experience doing, to something different, to provide the energy we need for manufacturing, for running our supply chains without using fossil energy, is a huge job. And so what organizations, I think, uh, first must do is get a lot more serious about understanding at depth the end-to-end -end transformation so that they can understand what are the resources needed to deliver on it. And they can begin the process of having the honest conversation with their stakeholders, internal and external, about what that will actually mean for their businesses. But then who do you think should take the lead in these organizations um, to drive this progress? Because it, it, it can get very... Uh, complicated, the governmental structure, the organizational structure. So who should be running it? Mm. it you know, it's a super interesting uh, question because the answer, I think, is different if you're talking about operational decarbonization or if you're talking about value chain decarbonization. So these are, uh, in terms of the work needed, fundamentally different. But this is why this detailed plan is so important. And the detailed plan needs to cover own operations and supply chain, because only through that detailed planning do you begin to understand all of the parts of the organization that will be touched by this transformation. So, I mean, imagine you were about to launch a, a new ERP system into your organization. You would have a person that was responsible for driving it. Of course you would. But it would also be obvious that it's going to touch all the parts of your organization if it's going to be effective. The same is true to an extent with the decarbonization transformation. So if we think about within the own operations, you can imagine that the, the, you know, the COO or the person who's responsible for that manufacturing operation should be the person who's driving the agenda. But that person will then need to interface with the site-based teams, with their financial teams, with their uh, external um, relations people. You know, there's a whole group of people that need to be interfaced with in order to be successful in delivering this program. If we think about the value chain piece, then you will have a different set of stakeholders. Here, the people who are gonna be very um, instrumental in driving this will be the people like the chief procurement officer. 
So a lot of the emissions in a consumer goods business come from upstream, but not only that, because quite a lot of emissions also come from downstream. So what happens after you sell a product? How does the customer interact with that product? Are they cooking it? Is it uh, washing detergents? Are they putting it in their washing machine? So actually there's a, a, a huge group of stakeholders, both upstream and downstream, that we need to think about. And, and how do we do that thinking? That's also something that's quite challenging, right? So we first have to envisage this uh, footprint in front of us. We have to understand where are the main contributors to that footprint. Then we have to understand what is possible for us to do to reduce these emissions. And once we know what is possible to do, then we have to think about with whom must we collaborate in order to evaluate if this is a good thing to do and to make it happen, right? So, so you can think about those steps as being the layers of thinking that is needed in order to really come up with the plan. And going back to emphasize again, the importance of doing this planning, because only once this planning is done, can you have a, a, a reasonable chance of finding the right resources available to execute on it. Now, this is extremely interesting, Mark, because we've talked about barriers, we've talked about roadblocks when it comes to data, when it comes to the governance within organizations. Um, but do you have any examples of a strategy that can effectively overcome these barriers? If, for yeah. example, a company is willing to dabble uh, and undertake this huge task, what what could we what could they start with to be successful? Yeah, so quick wins are are for sure there, and quick wins will um, get an organization to be to to have a little more belief in the potential to to deliver on these things. But we should not uh, we should not allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking that this is going to be easy and achievable through just taking quick wins. And I think you know what uh, what was super interesting when when we talked to um, executives in in, in our um, one of our reports this year, we asked them uh, how successful do they think they are with their decarbonization programs, and only twelve percent of them just 12% said that they felt that they were on track to meet or exceed their goals, right? So, so one in 10. And the same cohort of people said that they've uh, captured about 75% of the available quick wins. So what we can see now is that quick wins are, are taken and they are realized. And now we have to start facing difficult decisions. We have to start making trade-offs. Right. So what I would say is that the key thing to overcoming barriers like this, good planning, absolutely, adequate resourcing that comes from good planning. But I think recognizing that it doesn't all have to be done by the company themselves. There are a whole ecosystem of partners out there who provide critical pieces of the puzzle. And so collaboration is really important. Those uh, partners could bring specific technical expertise. They could help to access data. They could bring financing. You know, so a lot of the organizations out there, like my organization, for example, are also willing to provide CapEx to help fund this transition. And we have a goal within ENGI to provide you know, more than 1 billion euros of, of CapEx financing every year to help our clients to decarbonize. And we're just one of a number, of course, right? There are lots of companies out there that are really willing to provide the expertise and the capex and the and the people power 
to help organizations transition and then they can focus on their core business. So, so one of the main challenges I think we see is this competition for resources, right? So just today I was talking with a company from the sector who are looking at um, increasing the capacity and adding a new line into one of their uh, UK-based plants. And the comment that I heard and I hear often is, it's very hard for us to find CapEx and people to do energy projects because energy projects don't produce food. So if it's a choice between building a new production line to get more product into the market or doing some, uh, you know, say back office engineering on an energy system, there's no choice, right? That's no choice. So in order to be able to move this decarbonization program forward, uh, it cannot be an or choice. It has to be an and. They must be able to invest in their core business and they must be able to invest in the energy system. Because if it's an or, the core business will always win. And so really thinking about how do I get smart about partnering with the right organizations who can allow it to be an and and not an or, then I think we'll start to see things moving. Well, thanks for that. And uh, speaking of collaboration, the CGF and NG has launched their impact masterclasses last year, and that was a huge success. And now you're extending the series into 2023, covering five new decarbonization topics. And it's going to be a series of webinars through the summer. So can you ex tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're really pleased to, to continue this collaboration. And we thought it was very good last year. We had a lot of really great uh, sessions and really great engagement from, from the members. So it was, it was um, very um, positive to hear, uh, to, to hear that there was so much energy and so much interest in these topics. And so what we really wanted to do is say, well, let's talk to the, to the forum and let's find out what the members are interested in. And we've created a, a new uh, five-part series for this year, picking up the specific topics that we have heard from, uh, from members that are of interest. So we start with uh, one on the uh, 15th of June. Uh, which is an energy outlook briefing. We know everybody's very interested in what's happening with the energy markets these days and uh, uh, for obvious reasons. So we want to provide a little bit of an oversight as to how we see the market evolving. Uh, then we have in uh, July an intro into carbon credits. So lots of organizations with net zero goals realize that they need to put carbon credits into, the, uh, into their planning, but are a little bit um, confused about you know, what actually are they? How are they made? What do they cost? What are the things I need to be paying attention to to make sure I'm moving in the right direction? Uh, then in September, we are going to take a deep dive on carbon credits to really think about, you know, how do I build a strategy to allow me to control the cost, control the quality, bring in the right amount of carbon credits over time? So they're really focusing on, on the, um, the long-term nature of net zero commitments and carbon credit requirements. In October, we're going to talk about power purchase agreements. So this is really uh, going to provide a lot of information to members about how do they get involved in these long-term power purchase agreements, which will allow them to uh, lock in electricity prices for the long term, as well as creating real impact through um, the, the development of new uh, renewable energy projects. And then the last one in December is going to look at uh, electric vehicles and mobility. And how do the Consumer Good Forum members really start to think about that, start to take advantage of what the legislation might be, and really have a, a robust plan on, on how to deal with this potentially disruptive topic. 
So yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see a similar level of engagement from the members. Uh, we look forward to these conversations. Uh, it's They're always uh, very interactive and, and uh, really fun. Thanks very much for that, Mark. And for our listeners, this masterclass series is open to all CGF members interested in learning more about how to practically approach the decarbonization journey. So you can register on our website, it's open. I think we've run out of time. So thank you very much, Mark, for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Zoe, great chatting with you. If you would like to find out more about the Consumer Goods Forum and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and bye for now. 